month. We're going to make them buy them in the weeks ahead because they're at their stinking lake houses, so they can afford their, they can afford to buy a mug. Yeah, like we've got tons of people who have lake houses in our church. All right, you can start the tape now, Larry. Uh, <clears throat> Matthew 16, 18, uh, one verse that's uh, very significant. We're going to get to that. Um, I, I, I remember when I was in college, and I know that college students, they're just getting into their dorms. We took my daughter to college uh, two weeks ago, my fourth born um, yeah, fourth, going through college. So just pray for me and my family. Uh, we'll recover when I'm about 80 financially. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, fourth child's going through college right now. Took her to college. I know there are others in our church who are now beginning that journey. I, I was uh, raised or went to high school in Miami, Florida. And uh, for some unknown reason, I went to college in Oklahoma. Uh, Shawnee, Oklahoma at Oklahoma Baptist University. And so, uh, when I moved from South Florida to Oklahoma, I, I just didn't go home much. I went home at Christmas and summer. I mean, because you can't run home. It's a 25-hour drive one way, and we didn't have the money to fly back and forth on a consistent basis. So I pretty well went home those two times a year, Christmas, summer. While I was in college, my parents moved. Um, they... They told me they were moving. They let me know where they were going. But uh, they relocated from one city in South Florida to another. So the first, my freshman and sophomore year, I would talk about going home. Uh, because it was, but once they moved, it wasn't home to me. Uh, that house never was my home. I was there so infrequently. So my, my terminology changed from I was going home to... So I was either going to Coral Springs or I was going to my parents' house. Uh, my home started to become college. Well, you know, a dorm room is really not home. Uh, I mean, it's, it's you're, the people you're around you feel more comfortable with, but it's really not home. And then I moved to seminary. I, I graduated college in four years and uh, went from there to um, seminary. And I was in a different apartment about every 12 months. You know, you're moving, you're signing leases, and you're, 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 you're moving around. I wasn't homeless in the sense. I, I, I always had a roof over my head. But at the same time, it never felt settled. It never felt like I was really home. Uh, I was exchanging roommates. Um, you know how you do at that age? You Someone gets married, moves out, someone else comes in, you move in apartments. Home is that feeling of comfort, security, belonging, protection that everyone at some period craves in their lives. And when you're, you know, when you're 15, 16, 17, you're in high school, you're in your parents' home, you don't realize what that feels like until you no longer have it. You know what I mean? Once you don't understand what it's like until it's not it's not there. We recognize that this world is not our home, we're just a passing through, so to speak. 
we recognize from a theological point of view, until we get to heaven or the new earth, what God has for us later, that this isn't, this isn't our home. But at the same time, I want us to recognize that when God created the church, in a sense, what I believe he created is our home away from home. Um, there's supposed to be a, a, an aspect, I, I don't want to say heaven on earth, because, listen, I've been a part of church life my whole life. If this is what heaven's like, we've got to push it forward a little bit, right? I mean, but still, still a sense of belonging, a sense of security, a sense of knowing who you are in him, that there's, a, there's an aspect of family and community and relationship and life that's a part of the church. Is the church like heaven on earth? Is the church what it's supposed to be? There's this uh, old Charlie Brown cartoon, I remember, where Charlie Brown's off at camp somewhere, and he's in an archery competition, and one boy is, like, complimenting Charlie Brown on the fact that he's, hitting bull he's hit bullseyes every time. And, and Charlie Brown says, well, I do archery a little different. I, I shoot the arrow, and wherever it hits, I go and draw a bullseye around it. <clears throat> Sometimes I feel like that's what church is for us. We don't really know what we're aiming at, so we just shoot, and we say, I nailed it. We've inherited a lot of things from the believers who came before us. We've inherited their deep and sincere faith through the writing, studies, sermons, books, examples of many leaders around us. We've inherited a legacy of changing the world around us and the power of Christ. We've also inherited a lot of stuff that we don't know where it came from, but it seems to be what it means to do church. I mean, why do we meet at 10 or 11 o'clock on Sunday morning? Why do we have the service order that we have? Why is church supposed to be an hour? Why is this specific type of meeting? We don't do an hour, just to let you know if you're getting excited. No, we haven't changed. We're still more than that. Uh, but what, why the type of music or the certain instruments or the arrangement of chairs or the fact the preacher is standing up here now doing what I, doing what I do? Why do we do all this? There's a lot of inherited stuff that we carry with us about the church. But what is the church? Is it a family? Is it a body? Is it a business? Is it a corporation? Is it a club? Is it a, what is the, what is the church? I want to talk these next three weeks about, and I've, I've talked about it in this framework, coming home. To say, this is, when we step out of our unbelief in Christ and step into belief in Christ, my contention is this. We don't do life alone. We don't do it by ourselves. We don't do Christianity alone. We do it in the context of people, relationship, 
that it's about coming home. It's about stepping into our destiny. I, I, I believe this, that, uh, and I'm borrowing phrases from others who've gone before me, but I believe the church is the hope of the world. I believe that God has given the church the mission to, to share Jesus Christ. I believe that Christianity has to take place within the context of the people of God. That it is not just about me and God. That it is about relationship with one another and being in the context of family. You see, the family unit, who, who, whose idea was that? It's God's idea. It's not our nation's idea. It wasn't a government's idea. It wasn't a person. Family was God's idea. And before there was anything else, there was a family. In the same way, church is God's idea. Church is not some institution that man created as a result of a religious organization. If you read about it, you'll see that church was always in the heart and mind of God. The people of God, the called out ones, the relationship that we're to have with one another. But what does it look like? How can we be and do what God has called us? How can we bring people in the kingdom? Uh, is the church for Christians, those who are already convinced, or is the church for unbelievers? Who is the church for? How do we impact our society? What, what is supposed to take place with our children and our youth? Tons of questions that keep me up at night. Have me praying through what is it that fullness and the church is supposed to be? Here's what I would believe. If the church is indeed God's idea, and if when I become a follower of Jesus Christ, I become a part of the church, then I believe I'm only going to find my purpose in life as a part of the church. Y'all weren't quite as excited about that important truth as, I mean, that's really very, very important. That we're only going to find our destiny in him, which we talk about a lot about destiny and purpose. You're only going to find that in Christ and as a part of a believing community. I believe that God wants us to be fulfilling our purpose in this day. Look at these scripture passages. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He has a plan and a purpose. Psalm 138.8 says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. 1 Corinthians. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollo watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. And each will be rewarded according to his labor. You see, we, we, we're doing, we may be doing different things, but we, we're doing it according to the one purpose of, of God. 
Acts says that God will not let us. Speaking of David, that when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. God has a purpose for you. When God's done with you, then your life can move forward on to the next stage. God has a purpose. And again, I'm contending this, that our purpose individually is only fulfilled within the context of the church as a whole. But many times we lose perspective what the church is all about. Jesus said to Peter, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Who builds the church? Jesus builds the church. We're in relationship with him, relationship with one another, by the power of the Spirit accomplishing what he has called us to accomplish. Is this the kind of church you want to be a part of? This overcoming, life-giving, purpose-filled, and accomplishing church. I, it's the one I want to be a part of. Andy Cook tells of a, a wounded soldier who was ordered to a nearby military hospital. When the man entered at the facility's entrance, he saw two doors. One was marked for minor wounds. Another was for serious wounds. He said, I got minor wounds. I went through the minor wounds door. He found himself in another long hallway facing two doors where it said, for officers or for enlisted men. He's an enlisted man. He went through the second door. Another long hallway facing two doors. One said for party members, one said for non-party members. Being a non-party member, he went through the non-party member door and he found himself back on the street. When he got back to his barracks, his buddy said to him, hey, how was the hospital? He said, you know, the people there, they really didn't help me very much, but boy, were they organized. Sometimes I think that's what the church feels like. What are we here for? Merely organization, being well organized, or to help see people's lives changed forever? I want to go through some truths I believe about the church. This is a general look at the church from the scripture, and I am going to give you a lot of scripture this morning. Uh, generally, I you know, we just finished our study on 1 Corinthians, and so a lot of times I'll take one scripture, pull the truths from it. But this morning, I'm, I want to look at the, the nature and purpose of the church. If indeed we're coming home, what are we coming home to? And so I want to give you a lot of scripture. You can write them down. You can look them up later. This teaching will be just a little more exactly that, a teaching on the church. But I think in doing so, it'll help us reorient ourselves. I, I believe the word of God is powerful, Amen. I mean, I believe the Word of God has power to change our lives. And if we want to re-look at what the church is supposed to be, let's look at what the Word of God says about the church. So the first point is this. The church is a house of worship. The church is a house of worship. It's no accident, I believe, that the very first of the Ten Commandments is about worship. 
Worship the Lord your God. I mean, we're supposed to serve him only. Really, the first several are about worship. Worship is where we declare that God is first in our heart, first in our affections, first in our actions. Worship is who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's not simply an Old Testament concept that's irrelevant to today's church that we are to be a people who worship God. Satan's attempts to derail Jesus' ministry ended up with a question about worship. It says in Matthew 4, again the devil took him. This is the temptation experience. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Going back to the first command, Jesus speaks the word of God about who it is that we're supposed to worship. I believe the battle of all eternity, of humanity, has been about who we're going to worship. Satan's goal in the garden was to get Eve and mankind's attention and really worship away from God by causing them to be disobedient. He wanted them to worship themselves or him, which to him is the same thing. Any diverted worship away from God is the, the enemy's goal. We are to be a worshiping people. Jesus, when he speaks to the woman at the well, again, I've spoken in this passage often, but it's very important to realize because it's fundamental. This doesn't change. When, when, when Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, remember, he's, he's starting to nail some things down in her life. And she gets really uncomfortable with the direction of the conversation. So she asks one of those theological questions that uh, diverts the attention away from her to... You know, like when you start to t uh, talk to people and they say, eh, wait a minute, let me ask you a question. Can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? Or they'll ask you, hey, what about the guy in Africa who never heard, hears the God? What about him? Is he going to? You know, I really, they don't care about rocks or people in Africa. What's happening is the attention is getting on them and they want to they divert it away from the truth. Where do I stand with God? Woman at the well does this. Things are getting a little hot. So she says to Jesus, hey, where should we worship? You people say it's in Jerusalem, and we say it's here on this mountain, because she was a Samaritan, so they had a different place of worship. Jesus declares, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Lord the Father, neither on this mountain, by the way, listen to this, nor in Jerusalem. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? Spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Throughout the Old Testament, into this time, worship was about a place, the temple, the tabernacle. It was about a sacrificial system. It was about the blood of a literal lamb that was, that was cut and thrown on an altar and burned or sprinkled on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Worship was about a physical location. But Jesus is now saying, 
Hey, worship isn't about a place. Worship is about a changed heart. The true worshiper will worship in spirit and in truth. We are the ones who stand in the long line of those who have followed. We are we're a worshiping community. And again, without going, come to Fulham's Foundations if you want to hear it again, but we worship in spirit and in truth, fully, 100% of both, the spirit of God, the truth of God. We are transformed as a result of being in his presence. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to do what? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so do what? Worship God acceptably with reverence in awe. One of the clear marks of the church is that it's a worshiping community. <clears throat> Let me say that again. One of the clear marks of the church is it's a worshiping community. Now, we worship privately, but we also worship corporately together. It's important that we be a worshiping people. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he'll be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, Everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be, be done for the strengthening of the church. So we come together in worship. It, it's an aspect, and we call it here at Fullness, and I'm sure I borrowed the term somewhere, but it, it's incarnational worship. It's worship where the presence of God is encountered by people. They, they may not like the music. They may not like the preaching. I know it's hard to believe, but they may not like a lot of things. But, but they can't help but say this, surely God is here. I met with God this morning. Isn't that what worship is supposed to be about? Experiencing the presence of God? Not about whether the music was great or not so great or service went long or this happened. But was God there? Did I meet with God? It goes beyond techniques and perfection. Listen, I, I'm, I'm the first to say, I, I want good mu music. I mean, it's just my background. I'd rather have good music than bad music. I mean, think of it like this. I wanted to marry a pretty girl rather than an ugly girl. Now, I, that's really fleshly of me, I know, but it's just who I was. I like certain things, and you do too. But beyond that, what really matters is the presence of God there. Because that's what will change people's lives. I was raised Baptist. And um, in my tradition, uh, when I was younger, uh, Baptist, we had a certain 
liturgy, a certain order of worship. You, usually it was like three hymns. Uh, you had a first hymn, then second hymn, and then some sort of thing in between those, and then you had an offertory hymn. And then you usually sang three verses out of four of every hymn. I remember the first time I went to a church and sang all four verses of every hymn. There was like, well, what in the world are they doing? I've never even seen these words before. I, I have to tell you, I, and it has nothing probably to do with others as much to me. I, I can't say I really ever experienced the presence of God. Now, it wasn't about the songs. It wasn't about, it just became rote and ritual and when I went to college, I my freshman year, I had a concert by some guy I'd never heard of. I went to this concert in this big chapel. It was a Friday or Saturday night. Um, I mean, the guy absolutely tore up the piano and sang like I'd never heard anyone sing before. But more importantly than the musical performance, I, I got to tell you, I experienced the presence of God. Uh, that was a, Keith Green was the one who was at the concert that I, I mean, I, it just was unbelievable. Um, shortly after that, I went to a concert by Second Chapter of Acts. I know I'm talking ancient history to some of you. You're like, I don't know what he's talking. I experienced the presence of God. And I'm like, if you, if you never heard Second Chapter of Acts music, you need to go get their stuff. Or some old Keith Green. It'll change your life. Trust me. It'll change your life. It did me. Even then, I started experiencing the presence of God. I remember I went to seminary, and I was in a chapel service, and, and I can't remember exactly what was going on. It, it was like the, chap the seminary voted on what are your top favorite hymns, and so they decided to sing them that morning, five hymns. And I remember standing there singing uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and It Is Well With My Soul with like 3,000 people singing at the top of their lungs these hymns, and I just started crying. It was just the presence of God in the middle of God's people. Same hymns I had sung my entire life. Same words. Uh, it wasn't any great musical. I mean, it was just people all going before God's throne. I remember going to Anchor Church in Fort Worth, Texas, where Jack Taylor was pastor for the first time. It's where I met Kathy, and so it's a special place for me, obviously, uh, but going into a, it was a contemporary worship service uh, of songs right at the beginning of the praise and worship movement, and uh, Anchor Church had just started, a couple hundred people had joined together to start really going hard after God, and I'd never really been in a, in a service where people actually lifted their hands. I mean, I know for some of you, you're like, well, what's the big deal? Well, back then it was a big deal. You know, people that, if you went to Baptist church, you didn't lift your hand uh, unless you got saved. You know, that day when anybody wanted to get saved, kind of, that's the only time you ever lifted your hand. Volunteer to bring a casserole to dinner or something. That was it. I mean, lifting hands in praise and worship before God. And at first I was like stunned by the, just the physical movement of the place. But then I was overwhelmed by the presence of God. People, listen, I, I long for that every single Sunday morning when this church gathers together. 
my desire for this place is that our expectations are raised. We say, I'm going to church today because I'm going to meet with God. I don't know what kind of kick-started you getting here this morning, whether it was duty, obligation, or I got to go to church. I want to I ask you to raise your expectation every week to say, I get together with the people of God and we're going to meet with God. Because then somebody who doesn't know God will come into our midst and will say, man, I met with God today. Surely God is in their midst. Okay, I got two other points. Not only are we a house of worship, and I'll move a little quicker through these, but we're a, we're a center of building community. Of building community. This is about the relationships we build with one another. A community, a body, a family, all of those analogies go to who we are and what we're supposed to be doing as the church. Uh, Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, says to Peter, uh, on this rock I will build my church. That revelation, uh, both the person of Peter, the, the person of, who follows Christ, the person who speaks revelatory truth, the person who, the people that Jesus is going to build. God created us, I believe, with an innate need for relationship. We're supposed to be in relationship with one another. Man, it's not good for man to be, yeah, it's not good for us to be alone. God created us for relationship with one another. This week, we're kicking off our E3 groups, small groups. I, I want to encourage you. If you really want to be a part of fullness, then you need to be part of a small group. Let me say that again. Get excited about this, people. If, if you want to be a part of fullness, you need to be a part of a small group. Get in a group. Be in relationship with people. Because, you know, we, don't, we only run a couple of hundred people here on Sunday morning. It, I, I love the size of Fulton. I'm not saying only in the sense of I'm disappointed. I'm saying 200 is not that big. 200 to 300. But you know what? You can come on Sunday morning and still hide here. Even in 200 people, you can be hidden. And people kind of know you, but not really know you. For you not to be challenged, for you not to be using your gifts, for you not to be growing in the way God wants you to be growing. That's not God's purpose for you people. God wants you to be growing. God wants you to be in relationship with one another. The way we do it here is we... We're a part of small groups. So get in a small group. There's a table with all the small groups that are listed back there. Uh, some of them are learning groups. Some of them are um, age-based groups. Some of them are serving groups. But in there, you can find your place. We have a group for you, for everybody. Be a part of a group. This week, uh, the Walker family, as we talked about earlier, has been through really a crisis. Who, who's going to reach out to you when crisis happens if you're living all by yourself? If you're isolated and alone and no one knows what you're going through? Who's going to... You know, I, I come from a tradition where if somebody went to the hospital 
It was the pastor's job to go take care of them. We vowed when we started fullness that would not be the setup here. That the body of Christ takes care of the body of Christ. That, that when, uh, when someone goes to visit in the hospital, it's, it's not on a different plane than if the pastor goes. Right? It used to be, okay, you know, people went, but that's down here, the pastor goes. Ooh. No, we want, the body of Christ ministers to the body of Christ. Lifting it up, building each other up. Not that I don't go, but more like, hey, we all go. We do what's necessary to, to help. I mean, what would happen if we really followed this text of Paul and Colossians? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. When you put on your clothes this morning, what did you put on? I don't know. There's some mornings I really, I, I left my compassion at home. It stayed in my closet. You know what I mean? Listen, as God's dearly loved people, we need to keep clothing ourselves. Keep putting it on. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. How are we supposed to forgive? Well, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Listen, the church is, church is, it's more, to, it's more than just a supper club. It's more than just a fellowship center. The church is a center for building community with one another and with people around. And there are lots of ways we can do that. We serve one another. We're, we're, we're called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge a sinful nature. Rather, do what? Serve one another in love. Paul says to prepare God's people for works of service. We're getting raised in maturity so that the body of Christ may be built up. So that we're in our building community, we're a place that serves. We're also a place where we help raise people up to maturity so there's education and training that takes place listen i'm not talking about mental stuff here i mean there's a body of information but disciple making is about becoming christ-like right so we want to learn what it means to become christ-like we all want to reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of god and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the important word for us people fullness of christ ephesians 4 13. listen i don't have time to get in this but you know the way jesus taught is not exactly the way we teach you know jesus he told them but he also showed them what he was doing and then he released them to go do what they were doing and then he brought them back and he evaluated Okay, I'm going to pause here just for a second. That's not conducive to what we're doing here right now. I mean, I, I think what I'm doing is really important or I wouldn't be doing it every single week. But if you're going to be raised to maturity in Christ and experience the fullness of Christ, then you need to be in... Oh, here I go again. You need to be in relationship with other people who can be showing you and then evaluating with you how you're doing. So you're taking the truths and applying them to your life and that only happens people in relationship 
It only happens when we're connected with one another. I know I'm hitting this really hard, this whole relationship thing. But, see, I think it's really important. I, I believe it's really important. And I, I, in my nature, am not the most relational person. You know, really, I, 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 you know this about me already if you've been a part of fullness very long. I, I, I need like two, three friends in my life to be happy and content. Um, I mean, really, that's it. I'm, I'm good with that. Two, three really good friends, I can live life and be totally content. But God has asked me to do more than that, to, to get outside of myself and to, to, to be in relationship with people, to challenge people, love people, to be part of a small group, just like he's challenging you. Okay, I'm going to move on. So there's also stewardship. By stewardship, I don't just mean your money. If we're a, cent a building community, there is a collective we're giving together for God's purpose and plan. Paul talks about it taking up an offering. He talks about the collection for God's people, about how to set it aside. This is all from 1 Corinthians 16. But that's not really what it's all about. It's not just about money. It's about our whole life. How do I steward my words? How do I steward the family God's given me? How do I steward my resources, the job, the everything is a gift from him? We need to be raised up to maturity. Paul says in Ephesians 4, there, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, the church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. How? As each part does the work. Does its work. Here's the idea, people. Paul is saying, God has given gifts of men and to help build up the body of Christ so that it becomes mature and becomes together. But it really only gets strengthened when every single one of you, one of us, does its work. So here's what I'm trying to challenge you with. Now, if you've been a part of Fullness for a long time, this is not new news. I'm just kind of reminding you of this. Me, Andrea, Scott, Rich, Larry, Kathy, the staff, we don't do the work of the church. Now, you should say amen a little stronger, really, to that. If you're looking to us to do the work of the church, then we got a bad model here. The work of the church is when every single member does its part. And it's when every single member does its part, then we all grow up to maturity together. We're all strengthened. We all become the body that God intends for us to become. We've inherited things from past generations that have stifled us from being what God intends for us to be as a church. We've, we've, got, we've picked up that model that it's the staff or the pastor who does the work and the people come and are blessed. 
and then they go out and just live their lives, and then they come back again a week later to get a refill. Listen, no, it's, it's my, my job is to help encourage you and raise you up, release you in ministry so that you can do according to your gift what God has given you to do so that the entire body is built up. We are a center for building community. I'm going on a little long. I, I apologize. This really is important. It's hard to work through a whole what is the church in one sermon, so hang with me. The third thing we're to do is we're to be an instrument to expand the kingdom. The church is incredibly, unbelievably important, but the church is not the kingdom of God. The church is an instrument. The kingdom of God goes beyond the church. The church is the called out ones, the people of God who, who come together. But, you know, the kingdom of God is still out there, away from us. At play. The kingdom of God is everywhere because God rules and reigns in his kingdom. The church is a part of the kingdom used to expand the kingdom. Going and making disciples is not an option for the church. It's a command. It's the last words he gave to his followers. Go and make disciples. Now, he also said, wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then he ends it with, lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. His presence is promised in and among us, but it is a command that the church, the disciples, the followers of Christ are to go and to expand God's kingdom. This command was not given to a group of disconnected individuals. The command was given to the church, the called out ones. We have been given, as Paul says again in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, we looked at this not long ago, all of this, the message of the gospel, is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then turned around and what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. This phrase is so powerful. As though God were making his appeal through us. People, we're the church. We are the church. If we're going to be the place, the home that God desires for our home away from home, then, then we're called to be a worshiping, building, expanding. By the way, you may see this encounter, experience, expand here. That's who we are. That's our purpose. And I, I, I am so afraid at times of being like a Pharisee where, where I knew all the right stuff, but I lost God's purpose for my life. In the doing, uh, the legalistic doing, I lost what God had for me. I don't want to be like that. I don't want us to be like that. Instead, my desire is for us to, 
to be everything that God has called us to be as a church. I want to challenge you today to grow in this truth about this remarkable thing you're a part of. You may be saying, well, I, I don't really, I'm not really a part. Oh, no, you're a part. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the things you don't get the option to be is a part of a church. I don't believe there is Christianity apart from the fellowship of believers. Just look at the New Testament. It's all in there. We're about to come and take up the Lord's table. We're about to take this cup and this bread together. And do you know what Paul says to us in Corinthians about it? He says, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? He's saying, when you come to the table of the Lord and you take this cup and this bread, you're participating in what Christ did on the cross by the shedding of his blood and his body being broken. And then he ends up with this phrase. He says, because there is one loaf, we who were many are one body. For we all share the one loaf. He's saying when you come to this table, you're participating in the blood and body of Christ. Individually, you receive all that he did for you. But it's also saying so much more. He's saying now. You were an individual, but now you're a part of the church. The called out ones. The one body. I'm going to pray for us. If you're a part of fullness, I, I, am, I am so thrilled to be your pastor. You are an awesome people of God. And I want us to move from where we are, which is good, to better. In the sense of accomplishing more of what God has for us as his church. If you're not a part of a church, if, you're not a, if you don't know Jesus Christ as the one who leads your life and forgives your sins, I want to encourage you to receive him and to, to come home to what he has for you his purpose and his plan and his destiny for your life. Lord, we thank you right now and pray that you will, in this moment, guide us, lead us, direct us. As we come to the table of the Lord, that, God, you would move in our hearts, in our lives. God, I pray, first of all, that we would partake of this in a manner that is worthy of you. We would receive all that you have for us at this moment. Lord, especially today, I pray that we would receive the truth that we are one in you. We are the church, the called out ones, the ecclesia, the community of faith called to worship and build and expand. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Here's what we're going to do. If you're new to fullness, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to come to the table of the Lord. These middle sections will come down the middle.
aisle, outside sections down the outside aisle. From there, you'll receive either from our staff and elders uh, the elements. Take them back to your seat. And then as an act of unity to, to say we are one, we'll take these elements together. So as Mitch leads us, let me invite you to come to the table of the Lord. 